Okay, so this isn't the show yet, uh, so just shut up, and we'll uh, we'll start it. Uh, this is my podcast. Uh, this is how I start every podcast, even not my own. Motherfuckers and me, the Black Santa Claus, and welcome to Deep Shit. Hey, it's me, Baron. Uh, I'm posting this a day late, so I'm posting this on Monday night, December 17th, and most of you will listen to this on Tuesday day, December 18th, which is exactly one week before Christmas, and I know that because it's my motherfucking birthday. Yes, I'm 32, and I don't give a shit. I've never really cared that much about my birthday, and... It's mainly because everybody else wants to make such a gigantic deal about it that I've got, I've gotten turned off to the day I'm supposed to be making a big deal about because everyone else is making a big deal about it. And birthday parties are also the only parties I ever try to go to. And then I end up not going to any of them because they always happen on Friday or Saturday and there's like three or four of them. And at five o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like, I'm going to go to all these parties. And then at nine o'clock at night, I'm like, I'm not going to go to any of those parties. Just me and you, cookies. Let's have a party ourselves. A party in my mouth and then in my stomach. Unless there's dairy in you, then I'll have horrible gas. That's the way that song goes. Anyway, I think the most important um, thing to know about my age is really the only thing I want to know is, how old I am in comparison to people who are younger than me so I can condescend to them. That's really the only thing I care about. You're 25. Oh my God. Oh, you don't know. You don't know. You don't. Oh, you don't. (laughs) I've lost my voice a little bit. Did I talk about that? I went to Las Vegas. I just got back. That's why I couldn't get this podcast up. Um, I went to Vegas to see my family because they're going on a cruise without me. And uh, this was the only time I could see them before 2013, if there is a 2013. So I went back to see them, and I lost my voice kind of while I was there. I rarely ever lose my voice, and it, it's usually if I'm feeling a little sick and I travel, and especially if I'm going to Las Vegas where it's dry, it's arid, and um, my parents' house is still filled with you know cigarette smoke and dust. So it's just like I just sleep on a couch, breathing in the dregs of the third ring of purgatory the third ring of the inferno that's what i meant to say anyway guys i lost my voice a little bit which means one thing is that my morgan freeman impersonation is really good right now because usually usually i have to wait until about five or six a.m in the morning or at night two o'clock three o'clock in the morning where i haven't spoken for five to six hours and my throat's really tired and All I have to do is go up into my voice, up into my nasal cavity a little bit, do a little Mississippi, and then there you go. Then it's a kind of Morgan Freeman. I'm actually not going to call it Morgan Freeman anymore. I'm just going to call it kind of Morgan Freeman, and you guys can get on board with that. Anyway, today's podcast is with my good, 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 good friend, Mr. Mike Kaplan. Mike Kaplan, who I've known for pretty much as long as I've been doing stand-up, we met in the Boston University Barnes & Noble bookstore, the BU Barnes & Noble. And uh, he was s- sitting in the middle of the Starbucks playing his guitar, speaking into a microphone with nobody listening. And by that time, I was doing stand-up. So I was like, you know what? I will be an audience to this guy. And that's what I tried to do. Ha! Huh. An audience to this guy. 
that that kind of leads into uh, the little bit I do about him at the beginning of the podcast. Um, I won't say much more than what I'm saying right now. I'll just tell you the the con- the uh, concept, the subject is uh, self consciousness. That's what we're talking about today, um, and you'll hear what it means and all that stuff. And uh, I'm trying desperately. I'm I'm noticing that my podcast is starting to become. Hey, everybody, give a pep talk to Baron time. And uh, I'm trying to deviate away from that. I'm kind of on an upswing out of whatever the hell kind of doldrums I was going into. So I'm up now. And Mike Kaplan is, is one of my, probably my bigger, my biggest pep talkers anyway. He always finds a way to make me feel good about things because he's so fucking Buddhist. It's annoying. He's, he's insufferably optimistic, which is the same I would say for Ryan Singer. I think I need Ryan Singer and Mike Kaplan in my life. Because they're so goddamn positive that they help me not be as as negative as I possibly can be. Only a little negative. Anyway, here's Mike. Go, 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 shorty. It's your birthday. We gon' party like it's your birthday. We gon' sip a party like it's your birthday. And you know we don't give a fuck if that's your birthday. I mean, Jackie Show is the dork for us. The dork so, for us. And is a dork. I mean, there's people who, there's certain kinds of nerds or dorks, and I'm that kind of one, uh, who would be like, what is the difference between a nerd and a dork? Because there's certainly a large overlap, but are they just synonyms? They might be. And you're small people. dork and you're small dork and handsome, right? Yes, that's my uh, potential new album name. Uh, but yeah, I think there are people who would say nerds and dorks are just synonyms, but those are the people who wouldn't even use the word synonym. So. <laughs> Nerd that's, and dork equal word twin. That's very that's very true. But I always felt like the what what defines a nerd more than what they love is what they hate. Hmm. Because I feel like maybe I there's a part of me that when I think of nerd, I think of somebody violently defending something they love and separating it from the things that they hate. That's, like it's I guess I always think of Star Trek and Star Wars. Okay. And that the the vitriol and violence I oh, I always feel like I see if you are to mistake those. <laughs> but you, it's not usually that they're at war with each other. There's no, like, Star Trek, no, no, Star no. Wars war. They're at war, war with people yeah. who do not understand the difference. Oh, yeah. And do not understand their level of dedication to either Star Wars or Star Trek. People and, who call them both space thing. Yeah. Oh, you like Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a third thing. <laughs> I, which I also love. I love it. You are right. I do. But it's I, not Star Trek. We were talking about Boba Fett. There would be no Battlestar without Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> he opened up the door get out of my face and out of my artisanal ice cream store <laughs> um so okay so that's what i was saying to you before and, and i want to get your take on this about the word the word uh philosophy sort of thing you just you just sorry i made noise while drinking you made, water made drinking water noises <laughs> i apologize <laughs> uh, water I, noises i tried to slip by that i was drinking water but i i'm not a i'm not a stealth nerd. i think it's because you thought of it too much you're like don't sound like i'm drinking water and water, suddenly water uh, your commitment to comedy is exactly <laughs> what is going to get, make you drown from a glass of water. Oh, no. Here it comes, guys. <laughs> it's all about risk. It's all about risk and honesty. If you're taking those risks and being honest, you're going you're to drown yeah, on, in a sea of truth. On air. <laughs> on air. Uh, okay, so the word thing. <laughs> uh, here's the thing. Uh-oh. I, I drown because of a lack of air on air. Oh, jeezy, crazy. That's what drowning is. I was just thinking about my Mike Kaplan impersonation. Mm. I was thinking. Which I love. I, I love. honestly was thinking about 
doing an impersonation of you because you know I listened to your podcast as well, and you were talking about people, and it was the one with Gary Goldman and uh, and Mark Norman, mm -hmm. and you were talking about doing impersonations of you, and I was just thinking of an impersonation of your style, sure, where it's just like uh, there's this thing where you you accept multiple truths and put them up against each other. Here's an example of it. Please. Uh, hello, audience, uh, if that's your real name. I know your name is not audience. <laughs> I know that you you all do not have a group name, that you are all individuals, but right now you're an audience. If I was on the street and I saw you and I said, hello, audience, you would probably look at me strange, and I would, I would agree with you because your name is probably Jason. But I can't say... I can't say everyone's names right now, so I had to shorten it to audience, although I bet if you all said your names at the exact same time, you, it would probably sound like audience. That's great. So, hello, audience, <laughs> if that's your real name. <laughs> Which I know it is not, because audience is more of a nominal than a name specifically. And what is an audience? You're a witness to something. So I couldn't say, hello, witnesses, because then you know that there's going to be a crime, and once you hear these jokes, you'll know that it is a crime. <laughs> Sorry to perpetrate that on you, audience. <laughs> Anyway, you're all a witness to me saying what I just said, audience. And that's my time. And that's my time. Good <laughs> goodbye, night. audience. Good, goodbye, <laughs> audience, or each individual here. Mm -hmm. uh, if I see you on the street, I'll say goodbye, audience, and uh, I'll be correct. Yeah. Um, okay. okay. Here, no, here's, here's why I'm saying hello, audience, at the beginning, and then now I've got to go because I'm going to say goodbye to each of you individually, and that's all I have time for. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Mike Kaplan. Um, okay, so this word thing I was telling you about, I was telling you I was nerding out, if you will, on Shakespeare, yeah, and uh, saying that, so I have this uh, bastard philosophy, I guess, in a sort of a way, and I don't think I invented this, nor do I think I'm the first person who who thought of this. Hold your calls, everyone. Hold, hold your calls <laughs> after the fact. Uh, and, you, and you don't have my number, so yeah. you're just going to call somebody else and be like, did you hear that podcast? <laughs> no. Okay, go download every episode to get some context, some context of the of the conversation, then call me back. In three months, when you've heard all of that, goodbye, audience. Um, <laughs> so one person can be an audience. One person can be an audience to, uh, like, if somebody's like, oh, he entertained an audience, they say. But it's not a person who's an entertainer. It's not a person who's an audience. It's someone who says, look, I got to tell you something. Will you be an audience for me? Yeah, I'll be an audience. Give me an audience. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. And they start with, goodbye, audience. And they're like, <laughs> oh, you reversed it. Oh, good God. Um, so, oh, yeah, so this word thing. So basically, it's just that... It, it's a philosophy, I guess, I, I have of understanding the world in the, through the lens of language and the language that we use. And basically that when I – because people do, I think, synonymize. Is that a word? Synonymize is now a word. Synonymize. Ooh, I can't even say it. Uh, synonymize. Yeah, try it at home, Synonymize. Pause. Synonymize. 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 Do you have the rights to that? You're probably in trouble. Synonymize. I know. I mean, like Kevin Clash trouble over here. Um, so basically, people put words together that don't belong together. They they say that that's the same as that, like nerd and dork. Sure. And I think there is a difference. And I always say they're different. Otherwise, there wouldn't be different words. True. Right? That. They're different words. Therefore, they must have different meanings. You are right. Um, so I get really – I'm a hopeless semantic about all those, <laughs> about <laughs> all those things. Hopeless semantic. Have you said that before? I, I think I might have. It's great. You know, uh, I'm not an anti-semant. 
anti-semantic. I um, thought of a thing. You know, uh, is somebody gay if they just have sex with a man once? You know, that's just semantics. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I hurt. Uh, I mean, in multiple levels. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so there's... I, I'll take, like... Well, for instance, I think there's there's... Uh, there's a very there's a lot of importance in separating words and separating the meaning of them and finding I guess the different levels and semantics of why they're different like love and love is a hard one because there's so many different meanings to it and of there's course. so many different levels of love like there needs to be more words for love like uh, Eskimos or Inuits which have are, for snow yeah and all of that it with, seems to me all the different words for snow mm-hmm. have to do with what the snow is doing. It's true. It's actually uh, sort of a misnomer or a, mi- a misconception that people have, I think, uh, as I understand from my studies, that it's not that there is a completely separate word for each each snow item, but it could be like, you know, wet snow, slushy snow, you know, hard snow. The state of the snow. Yeah. It's like snow with dew on it. Morning snow. Yeah. Snow after you insulted its mom. Stuff like that. I was actually just talking to Zach Sherwin, mm-hmm. a.k.a. MC Mr. Napkins, yep. yesterday about a friend of his whose parents – uh, loved each other in a such a unique way uh, that they came up with their own word. They're like, I love you doesn't describe what we have. Love isn't the word for us. So they say, Koozle. So that, that was what, that's their I love you. I think they just say, Koozle is what Zach said. And then they named each of their children, their middle, each child's middle name is Koozle. I don't know if I'm annoyed or inspired. Both. <laughs> You're and spoiled. Nope. Nope. Inspinoid. Nope. That's inspinoid. A... <laughs> You're inspinoid here. Avoid the inspinoid. Um. So I. I. I uh, but that's interesting because it's like because love is such an overused word, mm-hmm. and we have people basically lo- the, the love has been perverted because of hyperbole. You know, it's just like people like hyperbole. I feel like is the number one. Um. Uh, oh my god, what is it called? Dramatic uh, device. Oh, sure. You're looking for a word. Uh, but let me tell you first, I love what? hyperbole. Oh, okay, god. I just feel like that's the number one thing that people do. Like, I love this. I hate this. Like, they use a lot of superlatives, and it's like the exaggeration of how you might feel about something. And that's why it, people don't know what the hell love is because everyone uses it so yeah. far. But give me a percent. I like this ninety eight. But I'm but because of that, it has all these different definitions and all these different levels. Mm-hmm. But s- people have their own associations with love. Oh yeah. So it's like you can't tell someone I love you without them taking it either very seriously, and uh, because or it, the opposite or the yeah. opposite. Yeah. But it's going to have to do with their own projections. So that's a different example. But I like to to separate because it's like yeah, love is different than like. Is different than adore, is different than enamored, is different than lust, infatuate, all those different levels, but people just lump them all together and call it all love, which I'd say love is like a big umbrella, mm-hmm. perhaps. And all those are its, or what? That, if you said that in a different tone, it could be all in different meaningfully. Like, the tone will also be like, love is like a big umbrella, you know, that protects you from the rain of other people who hate you. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Hate does rain. Uh, just, it's no no prejudice. Oh, you know what? There's a David Bowie lyric mm-hmm. that I always liked. Um, love is careless in its choosing, mm-hmm. sweeping over across a baby. Love descends on those defenseless. Hideous love would spark the future. Something like that. Mm. Yeah. Love descends on those defenseless. I always liked that. I was like, yeah, it does. It does. 
babies are defenseless, but people love them. Like, and they don't want that. Yeah, I've here's the thing: the concept of being in love that I've talked about and thought about. In that, like, you could, you know, a, a crazy person could think that they love, and people love doing know. that. It's like, I love you, but I'm not in love. Oh with yeah. You. But and then when people are in love, like I think the idea there's a sense of which being in love means that they are in love with you too. Like and once somebody is no longer in love, then that love, then they're they're out of the love. Like you're oh I'm in love with you, but you're not in love with me. Like think of it as like a pasture. Like I'm in a pasture with you, but you're not in a pasture with me. Impossible. You're not on the same page, literally. Yes. Like you're. I'm standing on a page. You're in a different page. Yeah. I'm in a new book. I'm in a new book. You're in a book without a. You're in an ebook. Uh, are we on the same e-page? I'm trying I, to rekindle our relationship. Oh, good God. But didn't we once talk, and I think I may have said this on the podcast. I remember having a conversation with you about when I told someone that I I, I knew I loved someone, mm-hmm. and I didn't tell them for a long time. I We have talked about that because, in, in life. Because I said, what was it I said? And you're like, I think I like that. I said, telling someone you love them makes it their problem. Yes, you did say that. And it's like, it's, 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 it's the equivalent of saying, you're hired. I was like, I love you. You're hired. That means you have all these responsibilities. Uh, it's and it's true it, because and then when you, if you are in love with that person or you do love that person, you have you have those feelings and you can enjoy them. You can enjoy the person. You can you can go on about your business entirely and have the good time that you're having with them. And then ultimately, you know when you know ultim- maybe they will feel the same. Maybe they don't feel the same thing exactly on the same time frame. But eventually, you get to a point where. Sometimes people I've I've said I love you very soon in relationships and mm-hmm. it's it's served me well it's worked out like I've said it after you know a week but then, then people get self conscious because they don't know what level of love you mean and then you have to like suddenly go on a like a, a treatise of what you think love is and the Sometimes, level and usually usually they're in the same basic place like it'll happen mm-hmm. mutually uh, but I'm like. Sometimes you're rounding up because it's through optimism, you know, <laughs> rounding up, rounding up. I to, feel point eight. I'll make it one. Well, like I dated a person and uh, when I was like, man, this is this is really great. Like I sense this vibe, you know, you, 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 this is really good. We're getting along. Our rapport is strong. This is I'm confident about this. And then she was like, wow, I'm I'm a little put off by your confidence because how do you know? We just met very recently. Mm-hmm. I like she's like, I know what you're talking about, but like this is actually weirding me out. And I was like, oh. Then I'm also weirded out and less confident now. Does that help? And she was like, yes. <laughs> and then we were together for two and a half years. Wow. Okay. Well, th- that's communication. Yeah. And uh, that beautifully leads into our subject, which is. The point I, I was right, though. Yes. I, I was right that we had a report. She just. Yeah. But then she put her own associations she, on it. She was also right to be cautious. And, and then we were. It, we melded. Yeah. yeah, mind melded. Yeah, vegan mind melded. Thank you. Which brought us to our topic. Our topic, which is self consciousness, is what you wanted to talk about as you sip some more water. Yes, and making you conscious about sipping water <laughs> and how you're sipping the water. Yeah, you told um, me there was going to be a theme, and I was like, oh, what? Yes. What are other people's themes? I want to pick a good theme. Please help me. Exactly. Self consciousness. And then I was like, you're picking that. <laughs> which, yeah, I thought that's a it was a fun thing to say. Okay, good. I'm glad. I knew that you would think that. Yes. Um, so because that actually intention versus perception which is a thing that I'm constantly thinking about, is that you can't control how someone's going to take something. and You can try. But that's also seen that, that brings me back to the Shakespeare thing in a sort of a way. So that whole language thing, the whole language philosophy is 
looking at the roots of these different words, like, as I said, looking up their grandparents mm -hmm. and seeing what they were about. Oh, this, this word is in this Greek root and this Latin root. And that means this and that means this. So that gives me a deeper meaning of what that means. And then I try to go and I'm like, okay, so I think that. And then I was talking about uh, uh, Shakespeare and learning to do Shakespeare in this way that is about the fact that he invented so many words. So when you speak it, it's like it, the way it was spoken, perhaps at the time, they theorize, is that this is the first time these words had ever been said. So people had to really like, there was a, there's a musicality to Shakespeare, obviously. So it's like illuminate and no one had ever heard that before. But you have to like chew the, the roots of it. Yeah. Like, like the, I know lumen. I know, yeah. I know lumen. Lumen, light. I know, you know ill. A spell. I know eight. So he put that together. Yeah, lumen. <laughs> Luminate, uh, Lumos. Yeah, right. That's what it is. Yes. So, which is which is a thing that Harry, what J.K. Rowling is doing today with those, we're like, oh, exactly the same thing. Like, ah, a spell. Exactly. No. Or J.R.R. Who I just read this. I saw this thing about inventing languages, hmm. and that's how he started the whole Lord of the Rings thing. Is that he was inventing languages, interesting, as like a hobby. Wow. That he was creating all these different languages and sister languages, and then he started kind of writing about. The stories of these languages, interesting, in, in a creative way, and that all became the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. Wow! I read a book called The Sparrow, which was about uh, a, a space venture, you know, like Star Wars or Trek or whatever. Uh, and Star uh, Wars Trek, yes, you know, like like Trek Star Galacta Star. Okay, um, Galacta Galacta Wars, Battle Star Galacta Trek. Yeah, uh, and The Sparrow is about this other planet where, and there's they bring a linguist with them, and the linguist helps them decipher, you know, like, oh, this is what they're saying, this is how their language works, mm. uh, so that they're actually, you know, more realistically able to communicate. And you love that having a, having a master's in linguistics. I did enjoy that yourself. You're like, oh, I would be useful in this situation. Send me, send me. <laughs> no, uh, a horrible thing happens, and so I don't want to go. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and that's the story of how uh, that last uh, movie was made. Oh my god. Prometheus. That's how Prometheus there you was go. made. Yeah. So, and then the, the, I said that there's that the uh, vowels, you know, and all the vowels live in a different place in your body, you know, like the ooh and the ooh are down here in the in the doldrums of your crotch and the stuff. Vowel vowels. Then ah, uh, you come up and that's like more in your chest and center area. Then and that's at the top of your head. And I was like, yeah. So all the vowels live somewhere in your body, which corresponds to the structure of the Globe Theater where Shakespeare performed his plays, which corresponds to the structure of hell, earth, and heaven, where hell is your genitals, hell's your genitals, yeah, and heaven is your brain. It's your brain. It's the intellectual uh, aspiration, and earth is the heart. And earth is where people are constantly torn between their genitals and their brain. Wow, that is something. And you were like, oh, because you said, what did you say about the chakras, about like, yeah, yeah, lining yeah. up to the sounds? Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So that colors how I see language. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what I mean to say. And that uh, it makes me think of words in a different way and it colors my. But okay. So, and in that, knowing, being conscious of all those things gives you a way to put forward the information that people will understand it in a sort of a way. And that's also, I think, what comedians do is how do we – I'll say this. How do you get them to dream your dream? Ah. That was a, a theater thing in college with a, a professor of mine that has passed away. Had a thing called the Dream Project, which was very much based on like Jungian kind of ideas. But he that was one of his notes is how do you get them to dream your dream? 
not dream their own dream. Right. Not I'm going to tell you about my dream and they're putting their own things in it. You have to make them experience what you experienced. Yeah. And it took me a while because you'd have a dream and dreams aren't linear. They, they have an emotional logic unless you have a linear dream and you're boring, which I have had. Uh, at times where I'm like, oh, things are everything. And Drawn I, dream. I go to sleep and I wake up and I remember the dream because it was so painstakingly abnormal. I mean, normal. That's yeah. what was abnormal about it. Just like, wow, I just went to work and sat there and then I woke up. Wow, I got to do shit. Um, but that he would say, like, for instance, you might ha- your whole dream might lead up to this one moment where you're meeting somebody. You're going to meet somebody or you're a face or a person stuck out to you. And it felt like that was the turning point in the dream, mm-hmm. even though you never saw that person. But there was like you had a feeling you were going to meet somebody or see something. Then you see this one person. You might have an interaction with them or not. You might just walk by them and be like, who the hell is that? Then the rest of the dream, that's like that's the turning point in the dream. So he might say, even though it took – it was like a five-second thing, you have to have that person on stage the entire time for people to understand their importance in your dream. They have to be present the entire time, even though it was a five-second thing. Because people always be like, but that's not what happens. Like, it doesn't matter what happened. What, what matters is how it felt. So – and that's always a lesson I've taken into stand-up is taking that little piece that means this thing. And that's what we do. It's like, oh, I saw this one thing or I had this experience and we – Open it up, explode it. Some people do. Some people just go like, saw that thing. That was weird. Moving on. Yeah. And then some people are like, what does that mean? I am and the universe is. And we're connecting it in that three-level tier sort of sort of way. Yes. To try to get across our intention. Yeah. And obviously not just necessarily a dream, literally, like, but an idea. How do you get people to idea your idea? Uh, to live. Well, I, I don't mean a dream literally, but yes. like, it's just the idea. But yeah, I, we're talking about literal dreams. So I just want to make, <laughs> make sure everybody knows it doesn't have to be just a dream. Well, you how want, do I get these people to be naked at my school? You want them to understand your perspective. Yes. Like, I was actually uh, with a friend yesterday on mushrooms, and we were making you each went, other laugh. You had mushrooms yesterday? Yes. Thanks for the invite. Everybody keeps saying that. I can't invite all the people that I know everywhere we, all I the time. I know everyone keeps saying that, but I actually mean it. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Next time. I'm joking. I just sat here crying. Okay. Continue what you're saying. <laughs> so, uh, so I was sitting with this friend, a much better friend than we are, obviously. Okay, obviously, yes. That's all I'm saying. All right. Uh, and uh, we were, you know. I love that I just made you self-conscious there, by the way. You did it. Okay, but you were what? Perfect. Uh, like, one, you know, we were making each other laugh about pointing things out. And here was, I'm working on this as a joke now, mm-hmm. do, trying to do the exact, trying to capture this moment mm-hmm. that was so funny and, a, like, because, we're on the same. We are friends. He and I that are on the same page. So I didn't need to say as many things other than to like point and say one thing. And so now I need to be like, how do I build up? This is before I was when I was a child. I remember thinking like I would love to. Uh, maybe I was wanting to be a comedian, or maybe I was thinking about trying to. I thought that, but how am I going to explain to everybody? I'll have to like write a book of the context of my whole life. Like, here's everything you need to know about me to make sure that you understand exactly why this was meaningful. Like, right. I saw this and I saw that because of my seven these seven years and this thing, and I was here. So, mm-hmm. but now I know as a you don't have to you don't have to tell them everything at once. Mm-mm. You have to tell you have to figure out what you do have to tell them. It's so, like what we saw was a guy called his dog. Lazy, he's come here, lazy bones. Mm-hmm. Like and uh, and this friend said to me, uh, "Wouldn't it be funny? What if that was the, actually the dog's name?" And which is you know a funny thing to say. And then mm-hmm. I said, "What if it was actually its name? Like, uh, what? 
can you imagine a do- like a dog like dogs don't have na- like what is a name name nothing has like all it is is we're he's calling it that right now in that moment it is its name what is a name other than the thing that we- oh you know it's your birth certificate dogs don't have those it's uh like legally like it's oh it's on its collar you could like if it runs away it gets a no- new owner with another name like dogs certainly like people hardly have names let alone dog i mean this goes back to the whole word thing it goes back to the whole shakespeare thing a rose by any other name would still be a dog exactly <laughs> this dog's name was rose uh but he was calling it lazy bones lazy, bones. lazy. but the idea like can you like we just let the he's like what if it was actually its name like being like what he was saying like what if that guy was so dumb that he named his dog lazy bones i'm like what if you're so dumb that <laughs> you think dogs have names at all <laughs> That's true. I mean, a dog does get used to, doesn't it, get used to being called something? As I understand, the dog knows mostly tone. Like mm-hmm. that, say the dog's name was Lazy Bones, and you were just like, you know, like. And it knows that. It's yeah. Like, oh, that's me. But, you, and if, but and if you were like, you know, yeah, then oh, it's that's like, not oh. me. Yeah, no, it'll be like, oh, did I do something wrong? No, you didn't say my name right. Uh yeah, so I think that's my understanding of dogs is that, yeah, maybe certainly if you say something the same way to it, it'll be on like the same way if you say to a baby, oh, you say, I'm going to kill you. You're such a cute baby. I'm going to kill you. It has no, it has no idea. Yeah, it's, it probably likes it. <laughs> so and then almost in a way that kind of corresponds to um, and I wonder if anyone's done a study about this, just kind of like the natural emotionality of tones, which somebody has to have done a lot of stuff about that. Right. That does make sense. That is just kind of like if that certain tones mean certain things emotionally people people who don't even understand your language oh take, yeah well take i mean those... babies will you know before they even speak words can like repeat like can do i, I was talking to kate berlant mm-hmm. a funny comedian i think maybe on my podcast about how i was like do you ever do impressions and she was like when i was a baby i like did an impression of my dad uh just like i basically like without even words just like you know that you you can babies will mimic what mimic. they hear without even knowing the content of what they're doing uh and like it has meaning like the tones yeah tones clearly have meaning and chinese is a tonal language yes mandarin especially yes. like b is different than b i remember having a roommate in college once and i remember sitting in my room and he walked into the room and he was just like bo 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 different words in chinese <laughs> and i was like get the fuck out of my face was he chinese no okay he was taking a mandarin class and uh, being pretentious, yeah, yeah. Uh, about it, but uh, yeah, because I remember you remember you know Jones. you were like boo, you know Jonesy, boo. you know Jonesy, right? I do know Jonesy. I remember being on a bus from maybe it was Boston to New York. I like that Jonesy could be to. Do you guys out there know Jonesy? You could know any number of a guy. There's a, yeah. there, a comedian named Jones, Chris Jones. He dropped Jonesy. Did he? Okay. Uh, and I think he also dropped stand up. I, I just uh, got an email from him that he has a new website. He's yeah, but he's doing videos. He's making videos and doing like internet media and stuff like that. But I remember once being on a bus with him and he said something. It was the Chinatown bus. Remember that good old Feng Hua bo, bus? Bo, bo. No, these the, the the people were talking to each other. The one of the women, the, the driver, and one of the women that like you know sold tickets and organized the thing. Chinese people. They were Chinese people and they were talking to each other in Chinese. And Jonesy said something that got the biggest fucking laugh on the bus. Which is they were talking to each other, and he's like, they got to be cussing at each other. That was it, because of the tone of it. Wow. He interpreted it to be anger speak. But it's funny because probably it might not have been. No, not at all. Because their tones, like, sometimes Chinese people see, or other Asian, maybe it's just a little limited to Chinese. Sometimes it sounds angry, and it's not at all. It's not at all. And I think that we, I remember reading this article, maybe, maybe you didn't send it to me. 
that it was all about like um, masculine and feminine projections, mm. and that you know, like certain languages, especially if they're like they're Latin based, um, you know, they they make inanimate objects have a gender. Like a bridge has a female gender in oh, yeah. some languages or a male gender in others. So people in that language associate certain objects to be masculine or feminine based on their language. That like, oh, yeah, a clock is a, is a manly thing. But a yeah. different person over here is like, no, it's a very womanly thing because it, 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 it ends in A. You know, my lady boat. In that language, yeah. lady boat. But it's like – but then the Chinese and the Asian languages have completely different tonal values than the Romance languages – which are similar even in Europe, like Germanic languages. Well, you know, English was what mainly, mostly German. But when you go up to like Sweden and Norway, they have different tonal qualities. Someone told me that they said sweet. They thought Swedish sounded like uh, Germans being optimistic ha. because because of the musicality and the tone of it. It sounds like oh yeah. <laughs> ha! I was just driven to the airport by a guy from Denmark, and he spoke English. Like they, there's people. I think Todd Barry has a joke about it. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, speaks, you, yeah you, you, speak, you speak English very – that man is boundaryless. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Todd Barry, super crazy. Check it out. Su- uh, that's right. His new album. I thought you were saying Todd Barry is super crazy. He is super crazy. He's super crazy, but also his album is super crazy. Yeah. That's the name of it. Yeah. But it's also super crazy good. Wait, what's the name of that album? It's super crazy. It's Wait, super no, crazy. just tell me. I can handle it. It's, it's super crazy. crazy. Third base. <laughs> but you were saying – uh, oh, just – I mean I'm impressed. Like there are certain languages – I feel like that's the case now based on these two data points, mm-hmm. Todd Barry's experience with a, a Scandinavian person and my experience with a Scandinavian person who both speak English so well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like compared – I mean there's many Europeans learn English and are very serviceable with it. Like they can communicate. They can joke in it. They can understand uh, way better than many Americans uh, speak other languages. Mm-hmm. But – so yes. many speak with an accent, and this is like accentless as well. Well, and I've been around a group of people in Sweden, and just from that, I could tell the difference between who spent time in America and who didn't. Because the Swedes that had been to America a lot, and there was this one guy who had lived in New York for like 10 years, and another girl who lived in like Kansas City for like a good decade herself, they had American accents right. when they spoke English and spoke with the rhythm of an American, whereas everybody else had more kind of a British style. Hello. Since British yes. people come to Sweden and teach English, and they have so much experience with British people and go to England a lot themselves, then there's this certain way of speaking English that they speak because they learned it from Brits. Yes. And, uh, yeah, that was interesting for me. And let's get back onto the subject. Self-consciousness. Self-consciousness. So, speaking of etymology and definitions, what the dickle cheeses. Does self-consciousness mean to you in your experience? Uh, well, the reason that I, I thought about it when you had me pick a theme was I had actually I had actually just the day before done uh, mushrooms on my own in Alaska. And uh, as pra- a practice run for – because it was a new source. Uh, so it was a mushroom open mic? Yes. An open mush. Just working, workshopping, workshrooming. <laughs> uh, and while I – while I'm on them, often I like doing them with other people for the most part now mm-hmm. more than alone. Uh, and while on them with pe- with people that I enjoy, with people that I like and respect and trust, uh, which is usually the group, the kind of people that I would do mushrooms with, mm-hmm. like we get into like a zone where I will, uh, you know, we'll be make we'll be making jokes or you know pondering things, and like it will be completely. I will be you know 
totally in the moment, mm-hmm. totally like lack of self-consciousness, like not worrying at all, thinking about like, oh, this will be great. You know, I'll record things to listen back to later and then assess whether they will be good for, you know, telling an audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately that doesn't matter. I'm like, I'll, I have those experiences. Like whether that dog thing ever works completely as a joke. You had it for Mike. I ha- and, was, and Mike's life. It was it was wonderful, and like that's the way that I. Whenever I think about you know like the the concept of the quote unquote artist, uh, like I here's the thing: I don't call myself an artist. I think there are things that like the same way. This goes back to you not saying that you were in love. Like you were in love, but saying it would bring different connotations to it. Yeah, like saying that, I could just enjoy it and feel it myself. Yeah, being like if you whether you are an artist or not. Saying that you're an artist means something different, unless it's like unless you're like a painter, because that's like oh, if somebody's like I'm an artist, I'm like oh, do you paint? And like oh, I sculpt. Oh, I get it. That those are different kinds of what we accept art to mean. Mm-hmm. But if you're somebody who does comedy for like if you if you if you went to a comedian and said what do you do for a living, and they said I'm an artist, they're like oh, what kind of art do you do? Comedy. That would mean something totally different. Like whereas I think that stand up comedy is. Art. I think that stand-up comedy is an art form, and just like any other art, you could have a painting you don't enjoy. You could have paintings that you do enjoy. You could be like, "That's a technically skilled uh, craftsman who created that." Like this one is, this is beautiful. A genius made this, and then this one is garbage to me. But maybe so, you know. Like, wh- but the problem is, is that in America, at least, everyone just kind of lumps comedy together and sees no difference between. They they don't understand what what it takes to become funny or how to bring funny out. So people will people will put an open micer on the same level as Louis C.K. in a ment- in a mental way that they don't see the difference between the experience and the craft and the access that that person has to the, what they are trying to talk about. Right. They know they don't realize that it's like a YouTube video that anybody could post versus the best movie in the world. Yeah, and a um, lot of. Uh, comedians in their first year don't understand the difference between that either. And now that YouTube is a thing, uh, everybody is on YouTube. Like you, Louis C.K.'s on YouTube and every, you know, there's their fields where you're like, oh, well, I guess uh, I got my stuff on YouTube, you know. But the I guess the point that I was getting to there is that, oh yeah, stand-up comedy is an art form. There are people like Louis C.K., I would say, is an artist. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter, and he would say it doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter what you call yourself. What matters is, like, what you do. Doing is more important than being even and saying is the least it's like doing is the most being than saying about the doing and being who cares even though our doing is saying about being uh so the idea i just want to make sure everyone follows that yeah our doing is saying about being yes okay continue on board uh so the lack of self-conscious i think the idea of an artist to me is mm-hmm. somebody who like sac- who is sacrifices self-consciousness at least in moments of you know of creation of you know like don't censor yourself when you write or, or accept it. Think. Yeah. I think you have to accept the self-consciousness as well. Yes. I mean it's certainly a thing. The way the the part of my life where I I don't like that I'm self-conscious sometimes is two things. One when looking at other people and their successes uh, as anything but inspiration to be like, oh, they're doing a great thing. They're achieving something that I would like to. Uh, so I should, you know, take what I can from what they're doing, apply it to my own life and do that. But sometimes you're like, mm, that guy, he got a thing. I want a thing. Even if, even though I have, I'm, I think I'm doing that more than sometimes. Even so I have, <laughs> and it's important to realize like you have a thing, mm-hmm. like you have so many things. Think of, I mean, not just to say, think about all the people who wish they would have your things, you know, like, yeah, uh, which is helpful sometimes to be, you know, and that's the thing I don't like. 
you don't, you don't want to get complacent. You want to be like, well, I've accomplished a lot. The end. Art over. Uh, you want to, I mean, <laughs> part of. Art over. Uh, start over, everybody. Uh, the point is that, uh, you know, as a creator of, you know, art, material, comedy, whatever it is, like having that drive uh, to, I mean, to get better, to do more things that other people can help supply as well mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. through their inspiration, through their motivation. Like that's the good side. That's the good side of it to be like, oh, okay, I want to do, I want to be there. Keep going, as opposed to rest on laurels. I've, I'm already here. It's like use, uh, use where you are. Be happy for what you are as you know basis for happiness and contentment. And then use other people for motivation to keep moving forward. Don't get it backwards because either backwards will screw you up and just be like, oh, I'm sad that that guy is a th- I quit. Oh, I did. I did enough anyway. I'm fine. I'm good. Right. Uh, the other the other place that self-consciousness exists in my life is like, am I, you know, am I the best thing that I can be? Uh, and also. So I think I think that I think it's a mistake to compare yourself to other people and be like that person is better than me. I will never be that good. Right? Why am I doing this? That's a thing because it's easy to to feel uh, to make yourself be underneath. I know from my experience, I feel un- under the weight of that projection mm-hmm. of they're awesome. I guess I suck then. Right, and I mean. Also, it's nice to know that, number one, like, Baron, you are one of my favorites. I love watching you do comedy. I can't even accept this compliment. I know. Uh, <laughs> and that's the mark of a great uh, compliment You're, and, and And as are you, Mike, I was actually just quoting you to someone oh, the other that's, day. That's nice. I can't remember what it was. Oh, I was uh, talking about your new, uh, the, the, the joke about the time-traveling oh, uh, Jews. thank you. Which is great, because you told me, I remember you telling me, I'm excited about this bit, because you, you had just started doing it. And and I heard it. And I'm like, that's incredible. I might have said that out loud, but uh, you didn't hear it over laughter. I appreciate it. <laughs> but you were saying, uh, but uh, and if you guys want a preview of that joke, it's in the Alex Cole Emily Heller episode of my podcast, Hang Out with Me, mm-hmm. uh, where that the the germ, the seed of the joke was yeah, created. Yes, Ooh. the the Germany germ. Oh. Uh, the germ, any germ from Germany. Uh, <laughs> ladies and germs, come on. Ladies and Germanies, anyway, uh, I'm going to have to listen back to this and uh, take it all and then say it again to other people. Um, <laughs> okay, good. But, uh, oh yeah, so uh, where were we? We like each other. Well, we were talking uh, about, that... you're talking about the, 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 the kind of artist, the doing, oh, the feeling. Yeah. I was talking about being under the weight of comparing oneself. Oh, right. Uh, the idea of self-reflection, it is, again, the sort of not necessarily the job of the comedian. There's plenty of comedians who like, like Carlin is, I think, the best example, uh, like an argument against people who are like, there's, there's some people who are like, Comedy is all about, like, the best comedy is, like, brutal, soul-searching, honest, raw, like, truth about yourself, revealing emotional. That is that is a great, like, if you're good at that and that's your thing, mm-hmm. then wonderful. Like, Mark Maron, I think, is the uh, a perfect example of uh, that, like, that comedy at its greatest, like, the, this is just me, and he's... Un- unadulterated me. Yeah, and he, it's hilarious, to the point of even, you know, like... And he knows, like, he has been an asshole to people in the past. Mm-hmm. And then I think his what he's accomplished now, at the time of this recording, he's at a place where I think he's happier and better. Still not – I think I, I wrote him an email to congratulate him on his TV show. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, congrats on your TV show. Are you, like – right, are you happier in your, like, day-to-day, uh, like, dealings now? And he's like, 
a little, you know, uh, <laughs> and because he's a person, Don't let himself have yeah, it. He will always be who he is, mm-hmm. though. You know, his circumstances are improving to, to the point where now I think he could wrong. He could be an asshole to somebody and then know in the moment that he's doing it. And apolo- like the time between asshole and apology is like almost mo- almost simultaneous now. For I him. feel like somebody I heard somebody talk about Larry David in this way. That, that it's sense. like that basically um, curb your enthusiasm is his is just his id where it's just kind of like those are that's him. But he doesn't act like that yeah. in his life. This he, is what I want. He do. knows he has those impulses, yeah. but he can make the choice not to follow them, whereas his character in the show follows them. Yeah. There's sometimes in that show where I'm like, you are exactly right. And society is wrong. Like, because he's so the, the, the logic of his decisions is oh, so like sound. The one example that I that I think of when i think about this is i think ben stiller was driving him around and he's in the back seat yeah. and ben stiller wants him to get in the front seat for two minutes yes for yes, yes two yes, minutes yes literally like he is exactly right when they were gonna do the producers together yeah yeah and it's just like oh like, baby yeah. i'm not your chauffeur get yeah. in the front seat yeah. there was somebody in the front seat she got out and larry was in the back which made sense now he's in the back alone nobody's in the front and ben stiller's like i'm not just gonna chauffeur you around like that's not. We're only driving yeah. for two minutes, yeah. though. Ben Stiller is, in my opinion, wrong completely in this situation. <laughs> but I, yeah, but don't take that it. out of context. Yes. Don't be like Mike Kaplan says Ben Stiller is wrong <laughs> about everything. Flash on this non-existent newspaper. Love Tropic Thunder. Uh, it's brilliant. It's fucking brilliant. But so, I, uh, as a as a person, as a comedian, mm-hmm. you know, uh, part of what I do is worry about what I am putting out there. Uh, like, is it the best work that I can do? Is mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of th- there's a lot of uh, levels to this, but the the first one is there are comedians. Oh, so the, for the comedians who say like Mark Maron is like the epitome, like that style of comedy mm-hmm. is like is a thing that many people come to, like Louis C.K. over con- the years, confessional, yeah. personal self revelation yes. in the in the in the tradition of Lenny Bruce, and and you might lo- and I love I love Bill Burr, I love Louis, I love. Uh, the comedy of Patrice O'Neill. I love, you know, watching all those guys. But I also love uh, Hedberg and Stephen Wright and Emo Phillips, uh, people who are doing, you know, not that. But well, they're more, they're, if you will, more mathematicians of language. They are. And uh, that they are, that it's a, go ahead, I'm sorry. I'll and that's, that's another different thing. I mean, that is still stand-up comedy at the at its greatest, I think. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I think nobody would say... Maybe some people would say, I wish Stephen Wright would tell us about himself. Right. Uh, but he doesn't have to, and he's not doing it wrong, you know? Uh, and Carlin, I, it was the where I was, the he's a guy who he talked, you know, some of it was all word jokes. Like, there was a whole, every hour I think that he did, every hour and a half, every special, some of it was just, like, word jokes, Deconstruction jokes. of language, yeah. and then, yeah. And then some of it would be, like, political, angry yelling. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was just, like, those... That was essentially it. You know, it was like really honest. Like he was like holding up a mirror to society mm-hmm. the same way that many comedians hold up a mirror to their own inner inner self. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but he would never in in his comedy really be like, here's what I'm feeling right now. Right. Like it was a separate thing. He was like, this is what I want. He's like, I'm not he's not even that angry about the things that he's presenting as being angry. But he's just like this anger needs to be expressed right right uh, at this thing but you're saying that there's a there's a place for it all of absolutely like, and because yeah. do people do get a little especially comedy fans again this is comedy nerds again <laughs> they're defined by what what they hate more sometimes I feel than what they love which is because there's I, a yeah. lot of people that like it, it, they I don't know what it is they they bring they so much joy from knocking down 
oh, people think this is comedy. No, it's this one thing. Which is ironic because here's like a, a great example of like Patton Oswalt, mm-hmm. uh, comedy nerd of the other kind. He mm-hmm. is a comedy, a, a master, a genius, a wonderful comedian, a nerd of like himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd say he is at a place in his life and career, like ha- he has matured. And I think he's talked about it in his comedy that he's like, I don't want to talk about, I used to talk about what I hated. Now I talk about what I love. Right. Focus on the positive, like, uh, you know, like the positive side of nerddom as opposed to the negative, which is the thing I think that happens as you grow older, wiser, more experienced, more, you know, uh, you know, attuned with yourself and mm-hmm, the world mm-hmm. around you. And like that, whenever it's funny because whenever I, you know, hear or see people like the the classic quote unquote hipster mm-hmm. mentality of like, that's not, you know, of disliking. Like right. I, I'm so opposed, like I'm not opposed to dislike. You can, but it's just, it's again, the vocalization, the vocal, I'm opposed to the vocalization of disliking a harmless thing. Mm-hmm. That is just something, if you don't like it, fine. But like a negative YouTube comment, why not just go watch the thing that you like, then spend time like talking putting, about the putting thing. Putting vitriol yeah. out there. Um, yeah, unless it's obviously I'm not talking about like if injustice is occurring, if pain is being caused unnecessarily, then be like, I don't like that. We should stop that. That should be but stopped. But then also go do something. Yes. A YouTube comment about people being beaten at a protest isn't going to stop people being beaten at a protest. Oh, yeah. I mean, though there is a level of like, you know, sometimes Unless you it's get... Oprah's comment. Yeah. People are like, this shouldn't happen. People are like, oh, shit, Oprah said it? Yeah. Okay, Awareness. It's real. Awareness gained. Like, I mean, but part of it is like petitions. Like, I mean, I get yeah. these moveon.org petitions. Like, hey, this thing's happening. Add your name to this. It's going to this congressman and like enough of a thing. Or like, hey, this company is donating money to this horrible cause. Mm-hmm. Tell them to stop. And then you just click, like in today's day and age, you're like, click, 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 click. And it and it can, goes, it, go, it can go it on. But then sometimes you also have to show up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like sometimes, physically. Yeah. Doing. Doing more important than saying. Exactly. Um, well, here's something I want to What do you think about this? Because uh, Patton tweeted out uh, his review of uh, Finest Hour on The Onion. Okay. Uh, it was the AV Club's review of Finest Hour. His his album, Finest Hour. His, his album special. and his special. Yeah, it was his special. And it was a positive review. It was a positive review. Actually, it was a, it was a a fair review. Okay. And that's what Patton's thing is. He said, I think it was like a I don't know if it was an A minus or a B plus or something. It wasn't like the best grade. I mean, it might have been a B, like a B or a B plus. Which is good. The Onion giving you a B is good. And he said, I'll take a B. I think in his tweet was like, I'll take a B from this well thought out review. Right? right. Then I read the review, and it is well thought out. But there is something that you just said that I think is at the core of that review, which is he has, I think, moved on from I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, to I enjoy, I love, I cherish, I'm interested in. Yes. Right? And I think that the disconnect of his fans who really love the I hate this stuff, mm-hmm. and he's grown up, but they haven't. Oh, yeah. So they're going like, but what about when you were angry like I am now? Yeah. Why are you not angry anymore? I want you to be angry. You are the spokesperson for anger, even though he's, his comedy's not that angry. Yeah. Like, that old comedy's not that angry. It's just that, you know, he could be sarcastic and stuff like that, and he grew past it. That was it. That's who he was when he was then. But people who came to him were also like that. Yeah. And now that he's growing up, but they haven't yet, you know what I mean? Uh, absolutely. I mean, and hopefully they will. Or And hopefully they will. Other new people will gravitate to there's, him. There's younger, angrier people. <laughs> <laughs> that you can love. Yeah, man. That's really interesting that young – that as you know, there will still be young, angry people, but maybe Patton Oswalt won't be their favorite until they've grown up. Well, and honestly, it's like I feel like 
that's why I have a difficulty, I think, with a lot of uh, comedy on television, not stand-up comedy, but like TV shows, is that, you know, I mean, the, the American television system is a ad-based capitalist ratings system. You know, the most ratings charges for the most ads, that's the most revenue. So, so all these networks are breaking their ass to basically create something that has a lot of ratings, that has broad appeal that doesn't exist anymore. Oh, right. It's very hard to make a show that everyone likes. And on the on the journey to try to make something that everyone likes, it, you're going to it's going to suck. There can't be a thing that every and, and uh I don't remember who said this, but somebody, maybe it was maybe it was Louie or somebody that said that he took a girl out on a date when he was like in high school or something and the father of the girl said something to him in passing that he says is like one of the most influential Things he has ever heard. I don't know if it was Louis. It might have been somebody else. But basically, saying if you're, uh, it might have been, might have been Mark. Might have been Mark Maron. Uh, the father said to him, uh, "If everybody likes you, you can't be doing anything right." Which is basically like, yeah, that is. You got to do what you do, and then people aren't gonna. Not everyone's gonna like it, and if everyone does like it, then it's like ooh, weird. Well, that's the thing. I think Nick DiPaolo says that like he doesn't want everybody to laugh at the jokes. Like Patrice, like, there's a lot of people that. Uh, well, they want to. They want to. They yeah. want to challenge people and kind of and push people to. Think past the status quo, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of television comedy is doing literally the opposite. They're trying to find the popular, more broad appeal thing to maximize profits, but you're not going that's I don't know if that's possible. But we also in at the time of this recording live in a day and age where, you know, we are at a place where, you know, FX and AMC and other cable outlets are putting out are doing exactly what we want them to. But mostly drama. Mostly drama. I feel like drama has the permission to be expansive in the way that comedy does not. Do you think of Louis as a drama? I think I think of Louis as genreless. All right. I think it's I think it, it it's a comedy, uh, but it's very absurd. And 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 when I'm looking at the reviews and what people have to say about it, they a lot of people refuse to accept it as a comedy. Oh sure. Refu- I mean, I think he had like Emmy trouble with that, where it's like, well, is it a comedy? Is it a drama? What what category do we it's put it in? It's a half hour. But, but that's means, what I'm saying. We're yeah. upset. We're a category that's genre right. obsessed. It's the same thing about like dogs and names and words and Shakespeare, and it does. It doesn't matter what it is. Like it is what it is, and it's good. Like that's more important. Is good or like what kind of movie are we going to see? Good. Like. But it's interesting because, like, somebody like my mother doesn't want to just go see a quote-unquote good movie. She wants to make sure that it's, like, not violent, that it's not uh, unhappy at mm-hmm, the end. Mm-hmm. Like, she, like, even though sometimes the uh, – uh, Uh-oh, getting a call? Yeah. Sorry, guys. No, I'm fine. Uh, <laughs> but the – She doesn't want to see those images. She doesn't want to see violence. Right, which actually, while I was on Mushrooms in Alaska, like, I tapped into uh, – like that, that feeling. Like when I, I, I watched an episode of like uh, Mad Men and Parks and Rec, and which Parks and Rec I think is a is a show on mainstream television that is totally like you know I don't like the let your freak flag fly, but it is doing it is a thing of its own making. It's so good. It's one of my favorites. Like all the characters are so original and weird, and like it, that it you know that it exists on television mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. a testament. No, and that. I think there's a lot of comedy that exists on television that. But Parks and Rec, as far as I know, has to do right ratings wise. I don't know exactly, but <laughs> but I don't care. You like it yeah. because you're a comedian. Well, but I'm just saying yeah. that like. I mean, look at uh, – there's all these shows that comedians and writers and creative people, quote-unquote, like, mm-hmm. but they don't have the numbers. 
they don't have the ratings in a big sense, which is why something like Arrested Development, for instance, right. I think one of the most brilliantly brilliant, and anyone listening to my podcast agrees. Mm-hmm. I, I know they agree. Anyone listening agrees that Arrested Development is one of the most brilliant television comedies ever. My favorite. Canceled. Yeah. Twice. Yeah. Right? Won a bunch of awards, but that's the that's the discrepancy. Well, yeah, that because that that person's date's father was right because they were not appealing to everybody because they were doing everything right. But the executives want something that appeals to everybody because they want to have those ratings. They want to create that ad. But what that happens is, I think, because of that discrepancy, it doesn't make for an environment that people can thrive and grow in unless they're dra- dramas. I don't know why people people let dramas do all sorts of shit. But all comedy seems to have to be in a very specific place well, all think... the time, except for a few, a handful of shows. But yeah. I, but those shows don't have a lot of the critical acclaim. Except, I mean, they have critical acclaim, but they don't have ratings. Uh, agreed. I mean, but there is like it's always sunny in Philadelphia. There's, and I think I don't know. I haven't seen Jim Jeffries' new show yet. I don't know, but like FX is putting out more. No, FX yeah. is doing a lot of good stuff and interesting stuff. And it's... that's because that's where the shows that don't need all the ratings can go to thrive. In whatever form, comedy, drama. And people, they've branded themselves in a way that people know to come there for that. I remember reading in a review of Louie that somebody said, FX is like college radio. I don't know what's on, but it's probably worth my time. That's great. And uh, and it's possible. I mean, some might say, uh, I'm, not, I'm not equipped to say this because I only do comedy in general. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. But that maybe, not, not to say that these great dramas like Breaking Bad is amazing. You know, mm-hmm. like I love it. Uh, not to, but a great comedy might be harder to make than a great drama like because comedy is a specific thing like drama like comedy is one of the weirdest i mean and that might be wrong it's it's very hard to do anything great yeah but i'm but i i'm i i am agreeing with you to the extent that i think that for some reason comedy has a a, a, a more a smaller paradigm more of a, more limitation on it and because possibly because drama can have moments that are funny, can have the whole expanse of emotions, which maybe is harder to create as well, but also you you have a broader palette to go with, whereas comedy has to be, I mean, comedy has to be funny, theoretically, and that's the problem with Louis, not the problem that people have with classifying Louis, is sometimes people are like, but it's not always funny. Who cares? Then don't call it a comedy, just enjoy it. Exactly, but people want to call it a comedy. Yeah, but that goes to Stop also. Stop wanting to call things things, people. But that also goes to the point that the average comedy is a half hour long, has a staff of twenty to thirty people. Average drama is an hour long, has a staff of eight to ten people. Interesting. So it's like there's thirty people, like one person per minute of air, except what's like twenty three minutes really. Yeah. But it's like there's that many people trying to make this small thing very very funny. Whereas a drama has – it just has more room, I think. Anyway, that's a bigger thing. Let's get back on subject. Uh, here, the Make subje- your point, yeah, though. The, the subject of – Self-consciousness. Uh, yes. Uh, my comedy, the, mm-hmm. the, the stuff that I do, the work, uh, the, the creations, like I uh, – you know, as a person uh, who is doing what I do, I don't appeal to everybody. Mm-hmm. I know that. Uh, so I know that I don't have to appeal to everybody. I know that it's good that in comedy you want to, you know, you start off and nobody really cares and everybody assumes you're going to be bad and you're at open mics and it doesn't matter. And then eventually it's the question of like rising at a gradual enough rate that, you know, like you're good enough for each level of like, oh, now like when people start hearing of you and be like, oh, I hear that guy's good. And then they go watch and like, that guy's not good. I don't like him is what they mean. Like people confuse I like with is good a lot. Uh, in in yes. comedy especially, 
and on the internet more than like I mean people And there's also no context to when they see you. Right. And but so the the idea that people will like see a movie and be like this was a horrible movie when like my mom might say that about a movie. I don't think she would because be because like there was that. violence. Right. And uh, my like Dan Hershon, a funny comedian friend of ours, used to have a joke, maybe still does, about how his grandmother complained about Spider-Man that it was too loud. Uh, so <laughs> that movie was no good because it was too loud. Uh, and like so, the idea that like people need to know. I think people know with like music and with movies. Like oh, there's different kinds. Like some people might be. I think I would say wrong to say a genre is bad you know they're like i don't like that genre fine you could be wrong maybe there's parts of it that you would like but then there's it's it's so, it's so wrapped up in their personal identities sure that they have to tear it down in some way like it's like oh, now i'm gonna go on a mission to prove to you that this thing is bad and to prove to everyone that it is bad right and that seems like a waste of time uh, it is a waste of time yeah. but people still do it yes that people you're wasting your time if you stop doing that don't even don't even argue with me here just, wait, just go watch a thing that you like uh keep listening to this podcast because you enjoy it um or don't stop if you don't i mean don't stop uh <laughs> look baron's great look i'll be gone soon if you don't like if i'm the part that you don't like just bear with us now we're on your podcast Ooh, right that now. should be that should be your podcast bear baron bear with, with us baron with us uh, that'll be the name of this episode. Okay. I've determined. No, it's uh, not. It's going to okay. be called self-consciousness. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but so the idea that I know there, there are people who don't like what I do, even when it's at its best, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, all I can do is be my best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but sometimes I wonder like, oh, like, should I, like, where's the, you know, in quotes, should I be more personal? Should I, like, I've at one time, you know, like, I think I was, I was jerking off in a hotel room with a washcloth and it gave me like a, like a paper cut. I got like a washcloth. Like it was, I got, it was like weird. And so I like, I said something like that on stage once. I was just like, this happened. Is that, the, is that comedy? Is that what you want to hear? Is that, <laughs> I can, I can talk about that stuff too. Yeah. You know? Like, and that, and it was fun and people laughed and I didn't really do it after that. But, uh, like the stuff that I think of, like I've talked about this with Zach Sherwin and mm-hmm. Mr. Napkins because he and I both, uh, he has some, some songs that are like personal, uh, but you know, some of them are only about like a, a very cool specific thing language or, yeah. quirk, uh, or like a mathematical game. Mm-hmm. And like, we'll have a conversation like, should we be striving to do this different thing that other people revere? Or, and I'm like, I, I, it's hard to analyze yourself. Like, as somebody, I think Alan Watts, who I love, he's a, a, a writer about Buddhism, uh, said, I'm paraphrasing, like, trying to categorize yourself or describe yourself or assess yourself, one of those is like trying to bite one's own teeth. Like, other people could bite your teeth real easy. Like, other people can describe you and see. Like, I've heard, like, Gary Goleman in an interview the other day uh, or somewhere or on Reddit. I think I saw he, was, he did an Ask Me Anything on Reddit. And he said something about, he's like, I don't know what my voice is if I have one. Like, but he clearly does. Like, you look at me like, I know what Gary Goleman is. Like, you could be like, that's a Gary goleman thing to say. That, like. We know it because we're not him. Right. We're you outside can, of it. You can observe. It's weird that you, there are some ways in which you, as the person who you are, have the least insight into what you are or how you seem or how you come across. Well, that's why I always use a very, very particular piece of language when people ask me what I'm like. Or ask me what I talk about in my comedy. Mm-hmm. I always say, I always make sure to use the phrase, I've been told. Oh, yeah. Because I don't know. Do because know? I'm me. It's like, I've been told I talk about this and I do this. That's great. What? That's a great way to do it. Yeah. And one time I was like being written up somewhere and they asked me, uh, like, who, 
who are your influences or who do you do things like? And I was like, well, I write, I write short jokes. Like, and like some of my, fa- some of my favorites are like Stephen Wright and Mitch Hedberg. Like right, they right. also write like these kinds of jokes that I really love. And then in the article, they said, Mike Kaplan has been compared to Mitch Hedberg and Stephen Wright. And I'm like, that's true, but you're crazy. That's you, not what you said. You didn't do the right thing. Right, right, right. Uh, journalist wrong. I and mean, I don't think, uh, and thank you. And also it's like, it's weird because, I wouldn't compare you to those people. I guess what what I I actually have been a guy once told me that I seemed like a little Jewish Mitch Hedberg. Well, it's interesting sometimes who you get compared to. Yeah, and well, even, for you, I can yeah. tell because I know those are big influences on you. So you you in a sense were standing on their shoulders when you started out. Yes, and of course, I think you have approached your own style and your own voice. I appreciate it, and and have had influence on other younger comedians. It's crazy to know that I have had influence on other younger comedians because. And I'm like, there's no way I have influence in younger comedians until a young comedian is like, hey, you know what? You've had uh, some some influence on me. I'm like, what? Me? And I've become so (laughs) self-conscious. I just met some young comics that were like in their early 20s, like 22. And I was and they were like, yeah, I was excited to be on a show with you. And all I could think was like, man, I hope I did well. (laughs) I was like, what if what if like they they. They like me, you know, they and it they see me matter as an influence. Yeah. But I'm just like, man, if I sucked, then they're going to be like, oh, my hero sucks. That's all I was thinking about. That's the opposite. Which isn't even what they would think. Like if I, I love you and if I saw you on a show do what you would think of as poorly, mm-hmm. I would still be enjoying it. Well, and see, that's the thing I'm trying to approach also is I, I'm okay when I do badly or poorly if – I uh, feel like I actually said what I wanted to say. Yeah. Like if I do the the jump ship and like I'm going to go to the act now because I'm not getting any laughs and then I still don't get any laughs because they don't trust me. Now I just did some things that they didn't like. So it doesn't matter if I do something that's funny. They don't trust me. Yeah. Anymore. And then I'm like, oh, and then I sucked with the stuff that works. Great. (laughs) Great. Cookies to my mouth. Yeah. When things are bad, it's funny. Sometimes the worst audiences will get the best, most polished show because you're like, come on, you got to you got to like something. I'll give you the best I got when like and the best audience. You'd be like, well, I could say anything. I could say things off. We were just talking about being in Bloomington at the Comedy Attic. Like those were audiences that were amazing. uh, Yeah. Incredible. And you could just be you could just follow a thought into any direction. And it's because they have trust and it's because uh, Jared, the guy that runs the place. Is very uh, he loves comedy. He puts he brings the great the and great he people sets there. up he sets up the audience expectation in a way that is only like he treats it. He basically tells them this is an art form because he has a little video that he oh, has yeah. and yeah. it's it's almost like respect what's happening here and it's like oh that's that's cool and it's not berating i've seen people do that but they berate the audience yeah. and it's like well you're telling them they suck before the shows even happen but he manages to do it in a way that the audience isn't being talked down to or made to feel shitty and then they're respectful and positive at the exact same time yeah yeah anyway what a great place but what a so great the, place comedy attic the point is that i was getting to about about myself and zach yeah is like i Talking about him, when we have this conversation, I say to him, you keep doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're doing amazing things. Like, I love these things. A lot of people love these things. Like, you don't need – if you want, if you have personal thoughts that you want to put into song, like he has a song I think called Pop Music. About, yeah, great which, song. About his growing up with hip-hop as his father figure. Which the, the kernel of that was on this podcast. Wow. We talked about that, and he – after that conversation, uh, I think the uh, manhood – was what oh, we talked yeah. about because we're both guys that grew up without fathers, but yeah. we have these 
weirdly hyper-masculine ideas of what a man's supposed to be that we also don't see ourselves fitting into. You had an influence on a comic. Exactly, and then he wrote a song about it, and he came on the podcast and did it the next podcast. And that song is, it's a wonderful song. It's a wonderful song. And and some people might be like, I like, I could see people saying, I like that more because it does tell me something more about you, but it doesn't mean that the other songs that he's doing are less valid. And I did a show recently that is kind of like a, it's in a way open mic, but it's very experimental, and uh, it's the un- it was the Uncabaret, right? Mm-hmm. Beth yeah. Lapidus' show. Mm-hmm. And um, I felt awful about my set. I, got a- I had a- maybe a- one drink too many on an empty stomach, and then I got up there and just didn't feel in the zone, and I just felt embarrassed, and they had- I just felt like the audience had no trust for me. But also, it might have just... And I- but when I look back on it, I did good, good- I did get good laughs, it's just that when I started doing the new stuff, then it was like it was ideas and it wasn't personal. And I think that they wanted something more personal. Sure. They wanted something more confessional storytellery. And I was being like, here's some ideas I have about space travel. <laughs> and they're like, what? But that doesn't have anything to do with you. No, they're what I have about it. <laughs> These which, are my ideas. Which is the thing uh, our, our good friend Eric Charles Nielsen, uh, comedian. Yeah, on, Eric Charles Network, I like to call him. I like it. Uh, I remember – this is a thing that he would always say about Louis C.K. Not always. He wasn't just going around saying this all the time. You know. You know what it always means. Uh, a thing he said uh, on at least one occasion, and then I thought about repeatedly, was when people started, like, revering Louis, which is reasonable to do, but revering him for this honesty, for this personal thing that he's doing now, uh, and then saying some people think that it's better or that they enjoy it. They certainly – there's some people say they enjoy it more, and you can enjoy it more. And you can't, and you can say it's better, but then the the absurd stuff that he was doing in the past, like stuff that wasn't about him particularly, but just his weird thoughts, ideas, you know, that weren't based in reality necessarily. Eric would would point out, he's like, I liked at at a point, he said, I liked that better. And why is it more honest to say what he's saying now? Because that was who he was. He was being honest. Those were honest parts of his thoughts and brains and life why is that less honest if he's thinking those things now and choosing not to say them in favor of quote unquote being honest which isn't necessarily what's happening but if that's what you try to if you're like i'm gonna be honest what a bunch of weird stuff i could talk about never mind that here's the honest everyman stuff that people want to hear but also that honesty is weird he has like there's still a lot of that he is that comic. It's like you can't discount that he did that. Yes. That it got him to where he is. I, does he discount it? I don't think so. Because I think he just says that he was just doing the same act. That's what his problem was. It wasn't really like, oh, I'm just doing this bullshit jokes. It was like I haven't written a new joke in a really long time. And he does actually now still – you know, he had that – he has some weird things now that he puts into context like the uh, – the, the the character of the guy who jerks off, you know, does the jerking off motion but has to do it to completion. Yes. Like, that's not a real thing. Absurd jokes. Yeah. That or, are great. Or, like, the one, one about— Suck a bag of dicks. I love that one. Of course. What's the bag of dicks look like? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so in my conversations with Zach about what kind of comedy we should be doing, mm-hmm. I could be like, I don't know about me. Maybe I should be striving to be more personal, to do this thing, to do something else. I can't say because I don't, I'm myself. I can't get out of it. And you but, might get yeah. there and you might not. And it doesn't, and, but I know for sure I'm like, Zach, you don't have to, you, if you keep creating more of the same great stuff over and over for the rest of your career, like I'll be, I'm, I, it's worthwhile. Go ahead. And so by proxy, that's advice that I take for myself 
to be like, oh, I've been – this guy who I think is doing – you know, we're not doing the exact same thing. I'm not writing raps specifically, but we are creating uh, – you know, uh, there's a Venn diagram of the content and structure of what we're making, and there's mm-hmm. an overlap. So I'm like, that's good for you, and I know that for sure. Like, because I enjoy it and people do. So, and I know that people enjoy what I do and I'm, you know, I'm growing constantly as a person and hopefully as a comedian. Uh, like, it's weird now. Like, I w- remember going on Last Comic Standing tour, on the tour for Last Comic Standing. Mm-hmm. And I was, uh, I had a CD that, you know, w- had come out the year before maybe, or maybe that year. And I was aiming to do, like, we were on the tour, we were only doing, like, 20 minutes. And at that point, I had 20 minutes that was not from the CD. I'm like, I'm going to do that. And, like, and I hope, like, the CD was the culmination of, you know, seven years of being a stand-up, mm-hmm. the, best that I, the best that I had at that time. And I'm like, now I'm doing a new 20 minutes. And, like, there were times when people would come up and be like, hey, I didn't really like the old stuff as much as what I just saw at this live show. Mm. And that was, like, really hard, you know, sort of. It was like a front-handed insult. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, you didn't? I mean, obviously seeing comedy live also might have something to do with it yes. as opposed to listening to it or seeing it not live. Uh, but the point is they were like, I like these new jokes better than the best stuff that you were happiest with. <laughs> and that's great to know that I now am at least to somebody better than I was. That's all I want is to continue to be better than me. That's mm. the thing. Comparing yourself to past self is the thing to do, like as opposed to comparing yourself to others who are where you want to be. Be like, look where I was. Here's where I am. Well, and I had a conversation with somebody that I was surprised compared themselves to you. All right. And he's a completely different comedian. I don't want to say who it is. I'll tell you off podcast. Um, But like I don't want to throw him under the bus, but he didn't say anything disrespectful. He was just saying he thinks you have a very specific fan base that he – uh, it's like wow, they like really like him, and it's like I guess nobody really likes me. That's that's how he <laughs> took it. It's just like yeah, I was hanging out with Mike, and and there were these girls that were talking to him, you know, because he's Mike Kaplan. I'm like, what? What? That's what I, that's what I said. I'm <laughs> like, what are you talking about? What do you mean by that? It was like yeah, you know what? He's just like people really like what he does, and the people who really like what he does stick with him. And I was like, wow, I don't know if Mike sees it that way. I definitely would never have said it. And it was like that. somebody that said it that I was like. Wow, but you do something that is very much you that I think, and I compare myself to him at times. I'm like, man, I should be doing stuff that's more like that, more confessional. And it was just interesting to hear him compare himself to you and be like, oh, Mike has a real fan base and people really, I should maybe do more of what Mike is doing. I was like, what the fuck (laughs) is going on? And I mean, I think that's to both of our, to all of our testaments, you know, like we're all ideally being ourselves to the, to, to the best that we can. Uh, and, but not even, here's the thing, like Mark Marin again, an example of a guy who probably comes closest to himself on stage and off stage mm-hmm. like now on his podcast in his life. Uh, you know, there are obviously parts that he might not share, but he shares a lot in all the venues. And that's kind of his thing. Right. And, and so some people look at that and revere that and great. I mean, if for me, I've, uh, this is sort of a, a jokey thing that I say, cause that's what I do in life and on stage. Mm-hmm. I'm jokey, uh, that I don't. I'm not trying to be the same person on stage as I am off stage, but it goes the other way for me. I'm like this comedian on stage, and so sometimes I feel like my off stage persona ha- has like benefited from like my off stage now is more funny because of who I am on stage. Like I'm, mm. it goes both ways. Like I'm learning in life. I'm definitely like funnier and more aware of how I'm funny mm. to people and to which people 
in life and on stage. So it is sort of coming close, but in a different way, I think. Yeah. And But also, not every comedian has to or wants to be exactly who they are on stage. Examples, Chris Rock is not that guy all the time in his life. Mm -hmm. Louis Black, absolutely not. Like, the opposite. Mm -hmm. Like, he's another guy, like Carla, who would yell, but then offstage, the nicest, you know? But they're also, it's interesting because they're so, they're considered being themselves on stage, even though it's like, they're they're not exactly that, that's a version of themselves. But the character that they play is still based on who they are. It is, but it's, we, I remember- and some people have characters that are way, like Dan Mintz, for example, that's not who he is right, at all. Right, that's not a real person. That's not a real person, but he's playing that character, and that's his style. But I would even say for Louis Black, like, he, I don't think of him, I don't think in real life, I've met him a couple times, and I've heard people talk more about him, uh, and, like, that he is a sweet gentleman that, like, Maybe he could feel that anger sometimes, and that's where that it's coming from—a real place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he was, you know, I think I heard an interview with him that when before he got found that character, before he started yelling on stage, like a friend of his was like, "I'm yelling about things that aren't even worth yelling about, and you're talking about things that you should be yelling about." Uh-huh. Mm. And so he's like, "Oh, I guess I'll start yelling." I guess that's the moral today start is that we yelling. we start start yelling podcastians. Uh, but uh I yeah, so the thing that I am self-conscious about that still and I was talking about this with Zach uh as far as there's some people who don't have as much self-awareness about what they're doing mm-hmm. and I think that a certain degree of self-awareness is necessary to be a comedian like you can't get bogged down in it. Like you, if you start out and you're like, I'm horrible compared to everybody. What I'm, I'm never gonna do anything, so I'm not gonna do anything. That's bad. Okay, go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna put something th- to this. But you have to have some self. You can't be like, I'm the best from the get go. I'm gonna do everything that I want to do. Here I come. And because then some people would be like, that guy has no sense of what he's doing. He's wrong. Like so, you have to have both. You have to have like delusional self confidence, but also occasional be like. Am I this? Like, am I good? Is what I'm doing good? I need to make it better. I need to improve. Uh, you have to have a, you have to have confidence, but then uh, temper it with uh, self awareness. Right. So the and that's why I think should I be self conscious about what I'm doing is an important question to ask and then answer no. <laughs> because self conscious is different than self aware. I mean, uh, and also, but that it's good to be like self conscious for a second and then slap it down. Be like. Fighting against self-consciousness, but having self-consciousness there is important. Mm. I have my my resolution, if you will, my New Year's resolution. Please. Is to no longer read comedy news. Okay. Um, because it just depresses me. Because I do the comparison. Of course. Because I – it makes me go um, – not only does no one care, but I'm not doing anything anyone cares about. These are the people that everyone cares about. I'm not one of those people. Then I compare myself to those people. Then I go, perhaps I should be doing more of what they're doing instead of doing what I'm doing. And then, But if I just kind of leave it alone, yeah. then I feel like I'll stop thinking more about everyone else and just kind of more internally be like, okay, I need to do what I do and stop caring about – 
that's the person who's doing this and that's the person because I do compare I, myself too much. I think you're right. Uh, I mean, and I do it at times as well. Even like I could get a thing uh, that people would want and then I see somebody else got a different thing or even a thing that I've had in the – like sometimes I'll see, oh, that person's going to that festival that I've already been to. Why aren't I going again? Why are they going for – you know, it's a thought and you have to – I'll be like, stop thinking that. Don't – because that's not important yeah. or it doesn't mean – it doesn't mean that something about somebody else doesn't mean a thing about you. Uh you should think about what you have. What you have is more important than what you don't have. Uh, defining yourself by what you have as opposed to defining yourself by what you don't have. Like love instead of hate. Positive instead of negative. And uh, here's something that I didn't finish before when I was uh, talking about the way my mother uh, feels at movies or mm -hmm. in books even. Like she will skip past violent passages. Mm -hmm. uh, and I felt that when I was on Mushrooms, like reading a graphic novel, uh, Super Crooks, by Mark, I think it's pronounced Miller, but looks like right, Millar. right. You, nobody can decide. Uh, it's either Miller or Millar, right? Yeah, and he's the guy who wrote uh, Kickass, Kickass, and Wanted. Yeah, uh, yeah. He writes great, great things that I enjoy. And Super Crooks is being developed into a movie. It is, and and it's a great, it's a super villain heist movie, and it's a really cool book that I just read, and I I was sort of a little, I think I was coming down or like getting, like it was a little mushroomy at the time, and I was reading it, and I would normally, it's like he has, it's kind of violent. Like his stuff is a lot is a lot of violence that I don't have a problem with. But while I was reading it, I was actually that didn't bother me. But I got into like I got really connected to the characters in a way that like I got emotionally. I was like, man, wow, this is supposed to be like what it's like for my mom to read something sad. I'm like, oh my god, I'm feeling like I'm really feeling this. <laughs> like so I'm like, mom, I finally like I understand what it's like to be you because of a drug that you probably would have told me not to do. <laughs> Mike, oh, so mushrooms make you understand your mom is what you're trying to say. It makes me understand myself and others. And I mean, in a way, it's empathy. sort of everything. Empathy and connection. Uh, definitely. And like, and that's the thing I think I was saying earlier. Like when I'm, when I'm in, the, in the best mushroom situation, like I'll with, with a good friend that we're riffing and, you know, we could have something that we think is hilarious. And then to me, it doesn't matter whether anyone else ever would because I'm like, I know that this is a moment of, you know, comedy, enlightenment, fun, meaning, whatever it is uh, that exists and cannot be taken away. Well, that's why I am curious in those substances, in the hallucinogens and the psychotropics, because I am interested in finding out the, uh, the corners, nooks and crannies and aspects of myself that I can't um, because of my own BS because of my self-consciousness, because of my self-awareness to where I can't get out of my head. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm interested in those drugs and what I'll learn about myself in the process. Not because I want to do it at a party and, and escape myself, but because I'm interested in arriving, brother. Oh, yeah. Don't ever – I would never do mushrooms. I don't recommend anyone do mushrooms to escape themselves. You will be sorely disappointed. Because <laughs> it's just going to be all your problems yeah. crashing down in a you, mushroom fashion. You're going to be like, all right, here we go. Get so, ready to forget everything that I'm thinking about wait i haven't forgotten it yet i'm still doing this i'm still, I'm still me i'm, I'm still even me. more me i can't no. i can't read super crooks anymore there so i have this theory that uh see i i sit here on this couch right here and uh spin webs about why i can't uh that's, that's what i do spin webs in my brain about nope can't do that can't be this can't i'm not i'm not and then that's why i need to go outside and let the sun shine in right that's what hair's about mm -hmm. so <laughs> um let the sun shine yeah uh, when, when in reality, you're the kind of person who can, off the top of your head, spin a phrase like, spin whatever you just said. I can't even create it. That's the thing about you, Baron. Spin a phrase of why I can't? Yeah. I spin webs of why I can't? Yeah. 
Oh, that might be an interesting bit. Um, I like it. So I had this theory that just like uh, uh, dumb people make good actors. Um, this is why. And that's why this is why a lot of actors are stupid uh, because they're emotional because they don't think they just react in a physical and emotional sort of way, which is what you're supposed to be as an actor is that you feel mm-hmm. and you are open up to feeling. And sometimes I get a little too heady about how I'll approach a role. And I've, I have been told, and I wondered what this trend was in college. I was always cast as um, someone outside of the actual action. Mm-hmm. I was always cast as an observer as like the, the narrator, the something. Cause I, I, I have a presence in a way that I can just speak and people will listen. Hmm. That's what I was told. But maybe I was like, well, does it mean that I'm not an emotional person? What does that mean? Like, I can't feel, you're not going to believe my emotional logic of like someone slaps me and I go like, ah. <laughs> like I'm not going to be able to go there emotionally. So that's why I'm like, is that what you're saying? Is that I'm good at just being in the same place? But like, if I have to go anywhere in the emotional levels, then I feel like I have the, but dumb people, stupid people, mm-hmm. just react. They shoot first, ask questions later. It's an LAPD emotional uh, system. Wow. It's what's going on, is that they just feel, they just react. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I mean, I'm, obviously I'm calling them stupid and dumb. Yeah. But it's like, I feel like there's a balance to temper emotionality with intellectualism. And I have been accused, and I remember having a conversation with you, about being too intellectual on stage. And it was a person who— In your comedy? In my comedy. And it was a person, a comedian, a young comedian, who sees themselves as aspiring to do that confessional style. And Mm -hmm. that, in a way, that's the standard she put herself up into. And that's the only way to do comedy, is to be this— to just unadulterated you at all time. And that they pushed me on maybe that I wasn't doing that. That I was hiding myself behind my brain, which I can't say is accurate, but I can't say it's inaccurate either because of you can't see from out behind your brain because of that self consciousness. You know, just like a Thirty Rock joke, uh, Liz told um, Jenna, and yeah, the back of your neck does look weird, (laughs) and she's like, I can't see it, and then she like (laughs) is like looking in the mirror trying to see the back of her own neck. It's like I can't worry about that. Yeah. So it's like um, I uh, I kind of got I got very depressed. <laughs> I was just like, man, am I hi- am I hiding? Because I can't say that I'm not because I'm in my own brain. So it's like again, I've been told that I do this thing. So if I get told something enough, I'm like, well, I guess it must be true then. Well, that's the thing is who's doing the telling is important as well. Like because there are preconceptions and projections to it. Of as, course, like here's a way to judge yourself is through the mirrors of people who you respect. Is like if somebody because this was an unsolicited opinion as well. Sure, if somebody you don't know tells you a thing, that should be less valuable than somebody who you do know. Moreover, you do like, and especially like, uh, you know, I think Gary Goldman again in his AMA and his Ask Me Anything on Reddit uh, was asked something, and he answered. Part of it was about it was about the ups and downs of comedy. How do you how do you deal? And he was one of his part of his answer was just like uh, he's like I'm friends with Todd Glass. And uh, who is a comedian that I adore, you know, like I, I Mike and also Gary, like Todd Glass, super, super funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, and we and, saw that bromance on Lost Comic Standing. Yep. And and Todd uh, like and Gary's like, Todd likes what I do. And that is that is enough at most times, you know, like uh, so I'm paraphrasing. But essentially the idea that, you know, 
this guy who is respected by him and others, uh, his opinion is valuable. Uh, and so the same way, like, you saying that you like my comedy is valuable because you are a person who I respect as a human and a comedian. And, like, I have, like, and Zach is that way, and Shane Moss is that way, and Micah Sherman, and, you know, all the people who are, you know, uh, some of my my close friends and comedians whose work I really love. Mm -hmm. uh, if they, like, like what, like, I, I trust them to be honest with me. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, all the time, there's many times when Shane has told me, like, I like this joke, this thing that you say, it, like, I've heard before, or it could be different, it could be better, you don't need to say that. Like, you know, we're honest with each other. Uh, we respect each other. And that's exactly the kind of the promise I'm trying to, to make to myself, is to not take in that. Uh, the constant opinions of people I do not know and do not respect. Right. Because I, I don't even, well, I can't say I do or don't respect them because I don't know them. Right. But it's like they haven't seen what I'm doing or what I think I'm doing. So it's like I have to not entertain that and just go forward and do what I, it is I believe I am doing and discover within that and stop comparing myself to all that other stuff. And then my other promise is, and if someone says, oh, I've heard that, then I just fucking stop doing it. Doesn't matter how much time I'd spent on it. Doesn't matter how much I love it. If someone else is doing it, cut. It's cut. I'm done. Like I had this joke that I was doing recently that came up in a conversation with uh, with Ali Wong, and it was something I said that was fucking hilarious. And I was like, "Yes, I'm gonna do that on stage." Then uh, I ran it by JP Buck because mm -hmm. I wanted to add it to the submission I was giving for Conan, and JP was like, "Someone did a similar bit on Conan already," ah. and I was like, "What?" And I was like. Did I subconsciously take that in? Do you know the person who did it or didn't tell you? I personally don't know the person. Okay. It's Chad Daniels. Okay. He's very funny. He's he was very funny. And um but and his joke, which I have now seen, it's just a piece of it. It's an aside and it's not even the point of what he's doing. It's something that he uses to get to somewhere else. Interesting. But it's, you are still leaving. It's just a small tag, but then my joke is that piece. I took that idea and exploded it and turned it into and it's a completely different idea, joke mm -hmm. but it's the same literally the same punch interesting which is just that um my joke is that like this is my impersonation of an old black southern woman mm -hmm. in the water oh yeah about to attack you i've heard you do that right and yeah. i do mm -hmm. it's great mm -hmm. and it sounds like jaws right and it's yeah. a woman saying but he has a joke where he says i once dated a black girl and I knew she was mad at me because she would go, mm-hmm. And if I didn't see her, I was like, is that Jaws? Ah, <laughs> uh, man. Right? And he's like, and I, and I was like, I hope it's not because she yeah. wouldn't get in the water and that, because uh, black people don't like to swim. Interesting. Oh, I said black people don't like to swim. I didn't say they can't swim. Yes. Right? So yeah. he goes to that place with it. But it's a, it's different. It, but okay. to me, I'm like, well, that's just that's, – I can't do it. So I literally retired the bit. Such an interesting thing because also, like, you didn't see him do it to come up with it. I didn't. And I mean, but see, here's the thing. Yeah. I did watch his Conan, but I do not remember that joke. And so that's that's a matter of it could have inserted itself. And that's why I'm like, well, I'm just going to do away with it because I don't want to be. And two people since have told me, oh, hey, doesn't Chad Daniels have a thing like that? And then, then that's, yeah, that's a great reason to stop doing it. Yeah. Then I was like, and I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to be looked at as someone who's stealing shit from Chad Daniels or stealing no, shit from anybody. And I don't think anybody was thinking that you would or were doing but that. But still, there are people who might. Yeah. And that's why I'm just like, okay, it's done. Put it over here. I'm not going to do that bit. Yeah. I have, a, I have a joke that I did on Letterman last year that there's 
the concept is similar to this happens to me a lot. Dimitri Martin jokes mm. uh, about uh, chick magnets, about being a chick magnet, and uh, I didn't know that he had one a chick magnet joke. It was I think it, his is something like. Uh, be careful if you're a chick magnet. Careful which way you're facing because you might become uh, a chick deterrent or repellent or and mine. You know, mine is also that that concept. Yeah, yeah, different yeah. words that goes also to has more to it than just that. But uh, so, oh well, I'm oh well, it, it happened and I'm. You did it on Letterman. It's not like you was like I'm going to take this Dimitri Martin joke and do it on television. No, I and I wish that happened. It happened to me on Last Comic Standing as well uh, with. Uh, just again a one-liner of somebody else's that like i was like oh i didn't know that that person had that joke i'll stop doing it now yeah and i've done that with jokes in the past when people are like ah someone has a joke like that and go like okay cut done done i'll move on i have other jokes (laughs) i'll write more shit i mean and on the on the flip side of it i mean that is i think that is the difficulty of the the one-line comic because a one-liner can be created by many people all over the world and it used to be that you would never even find out about it. Mm-hmm. Like when I, Shane Moss did a, his one of his first Conans, he had a joke about bumper stickers that was really funny. And then I went to Seattle and did a comp- did a competition with a guy who had it was a, a different bumper sticker, but it was the same con- same exact concept, different joke, uh, different joke. But I was like, man, it's crazy that these guys both came up with this thing. Totally, you know, obviously it happens. Parallel thinking happens. Parallel thinking happens and you just move on from it. And and so the idea that to be completely self like you if you come up with an idea, it doesn't make it makes sense to like Google it briefly and see if something major shows up. But you can't if you find it like somebody's like, Oh, a guy I knew who did an open mic in Denver once had a thing that sounded sort of like that or on that like you can't go looking you should I mean I always will Sometimes I'll sometimes double check with my friends and be like, "Do you know anybody who does a thing like this?" Yeah, didn't you no. just recently do that to me? I, possibly. And I, and I, someone did. It's like, do you, "Have you heard of anyone that has a thing like this?" And I had. Sure. And I told you what the context of it is because sometimes what it is that you've come up with might be different enough. Yeah. That you can still do it and it doesn't look like the same joke. Sometimes sometimes people will avoid watching other people to avoid getting you know you know incidental you know like uh, just subliminal jokes that you then think you thought of later. Uh, but also you could then just stumble onto them. I like, I prefer to watch everything that I can try to remember everything. And then if I'm writing a joke about that thing, be like, Oh, avoid that path that they've laid out. That's exactly what I try to do as well. And if I usually, if I have the thought, I feel like someone else thought of this, then I just don't do it. Then I just, I just leave it alone and stop thinking about it. What's funny is people who are like, Oh, people could have thought of that. Uh, like that's the thing I put a joke on. I've been putting some jokes on Reddit. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the stand-up shots subreddit, mm-hmm. which is fun, and people like that. Basically, it's just some people, a lot of people, like you know, will vote them up and then see them that wouldn't have seen my jokes before, and then maybe follow me on Twitter, or listen to my podcast. It's all a positive thing. If you don't like it, then great. Sometimes they'll vote it down. Sometimes, sometimes people will put negative comments. Here's two things. One, I did a joke uh, that has been working very well. What's like, the joke? Uh, it's uh, my girlfriend uh, asked me to dominate her, so I said, "Let's play Scrabble." Uh, and that's, that was the basic thing. There's a little more to it now, but that was, that was what I put on there and Mm -hmm. it got, it got to the top and people liked it. And it was, there was a lot of positive feedback. And then one guy was like, this is like so simple. Like anybody could have thought of this. Yeah, but they didn't. And that's kind of the beauty of a joke. Sometimes it's like, oh, anybody could have thought of that, but no one did. And it is, I mean, and it is possible that he might've, he might've said, I'm sure somebody did this already. He's not sure. He thinks it could have happened. It could have happened. 
I didn't see it. But that's a but, negative review just because it maybe it could have. Yeah, maybe it could have is not. Yeah, you do some research. Find out all the places that it did happen. Get back. I mean, I don't. I asked. I love that. Yeah. This is too simple. <laughs> Everybody enjoys a simple thing. How could you take a word and then take another meaning of it and write a punchline about it? Is that that's is that how jokes work? Here's uh, <laughs> that's like a harsher indictment of what that guy said. Yeah, uh, that's basically yeah. what he's saying. Yeah. How come this is a joke? This sounds like a joke. This joke. <laughs> yeah, I don't like jokes. I don't like jokes that sound like jokes. Yeah, can you make? Can you hide your joke? Can you hide that joke so that way it's really complicated? Can you hide your joke in some sort of childhood trauma? And when it's complicated, I'll be like, "This is too hard." Yeah. Uh, could you not do anything? This is just a sentence instead of a joke. And I'm always just like, "Oh, somebody." For maybe another joke at one point, it's always fun for me. Like, I honestly, I feel like, you know, this is not a, like, meditative or enlightened or Buddhist-y thing to say, but Mm -hmm. I love Buddhism and the concept of enlightenment, and I feel like I am closer to it at times now than I ever was in the past, in that I don't let these things bother me like I used to, where somebody was like, hey, I just had to tell you this is a bad joke about something online. They're like, I I just had to, and I wrote back, you didn't have to, have a nice day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh and th- there's here's one other this uh on on a uh, on point example of i wrote this joke about buddhism and i put it on reddit the, the, i think i know this joke about uh how i ordered a book on buddhism and it hasn't yet arrived so i presume it's been within me all this time right love that joke uh and somebody so a lot again a lot of positive feedback uh some actual discussions about buddhism that i really enjoyed uh because from people who know more about it than me but then one person was like uh, came at it really negatively and was like, hey, you're being a douchebag to people who you don't even, you said you didn't even read it, so you should give them more. It was like a well-intentioned, but totally, he was like, oh my God. I like It was like, I felt like a Zen master in that this person was coming to me completely not understanding anything. Mm-hmm. And I had to, I couldn't just be like, oh, you're dumb. Uh, you don't get it. I was like, how can I make him understand? I was like, hey. You can't. No, what I, what I did was, I, and I was really happy with this and proud of myself, which, again, is probably not super. Bu- I'm real proud of myself for being super Buddhist-y. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's my impression of you. You were happy with what I, you did. Yeah, I, I'm content with this interaction because I was like, I didn't get mad. I was just like, oh, uh, what is it that you, I, I think you just misunderstood. Oh, the, here's the thing. The title was Boo-Dist. That was what I called the joke. Okay. So he's like, you're dissing them, and you don't – so I'm like, oh, you you just misunderstood. And I was like, I actually – I do know about Buddhism. I have read about it. I've read other books. Like I did – that was true when I, when I wrote that joke, but I actually love Buddhism. I care about it, and I think I know a little bit about it, but like enough to make this joke make sense and that it isn't anti-Buddhism – uh, but if you are like, are, do you know about Buddhism? Like, are you, is there something in this that I'm not seeing? Like, are you a scholar of Buddhism? Like, do you have, is there something that I'm missing that makes this seem negative in a way that I didn't intend? And he was like, no, I don't know anything about it either. I just, it seemed like you're being a douchebag to the, and I was like, oh, well I was, it was actually coming from a place of, you know, love and respect. And here's actually some books that I have read that I think if you want to learn about Buddhism, like you might enjoy these authors, these books, these snippets. And this, I like quoted a passage uh, which I really liked about uh, from this book called The Tao is Silent by Raymond Smullyan, who I love. He's a, a mathematician, logician, magician, philosopher, mystic writer. A lot of, of Ishans. A lot of Ishans. This guy is uh, – He's, a, he's a, a Buddhist 
So he's like a Buddhist. A Buddhist. A, yeah. a beautician. <laughs> a beautician. Oh, yeah. All right. Life is beautiful. Life, oh, good uh, God. So, so you said that in the comment. Uh, yeah, and, and then he was like, thank you for explaining. You know, essentially, and essentially, in, in retrospect, I, told, I think I told Micah Sherman, good, mm-hmm. good friend, about this. And he was like, probably that guy was just like some teenager, some like angry, you know, some just like. And I think, oh, oh, here was the thing. The thing in the first comment that made me laugh the most was he was like, this is ignorant. I hate ignorant comedy. If I saw this at a show, I would want to murder you. <laughs> that was the, that was it. I'm sorry that I forgot that part. I was like, oh my God, you're angry that you would murder me for making a joke against Buddhism in your mind. Like, oh my, like, that's in, so much. Uh, uh, incredible. And, and so over the course to of conflate our- conflate those things. In our interactions over the course of, you know, uh, there was like maybe three or four back and forths. And he at one point was like, uh, did apologize for seeming so, he was like, I must've been really angry when I first wrote that at something else. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, Just kind of Buddhist. Yeah, and he, yeah, so we came to a place where neither of us was mad at each other. I also never was mad at him. That's pretty incredible. Um, wow. There is this thing about like, you know, some people don't know where their ego begins and another person's ego uh, ends mm-hmm. that you know, and I have some people feel like they need to speak up for uh, someone who can't speak up for themselves, right? But then you're, but then at the same time you're speaking on behalf of them. Yes, it's just like the Let the them brilliant speak on behalf of them, the brilliant Ted Alexandro joke about oh, yeah. you know, like a lot of people think that uh, uh, gay marriage is against, like you know, God is totally fine with it, <laughs> and he's totally cool with homosexuality. And I know a lot of you are like, hey, whoa. Slow down. You move too fast. How <laughs> dare you speak on behalf of God? Uh, how dare you presume to know his position on something? It's like, exactly. Yeah. That's a very yeah. good point, and I pray you remember it. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I what a beautiful, wonderful. perfect uh, – I, I mean, it's, it, it, it's such a succinct piece of stand-up yeah. that does so much at the same time. Uh, Ted Alexandro, if you don't – if you haven't looked him up, He's, if you don't know him, you should. He, I think he is a – a, a, a brilliant comedian that he's very Buddha like, and he's and he's very Buddha like, and he's got such a good consciousness, a conscientiousness as well, and is, a, is also a guy who puts his money where his mouth is politically. Oh, and yeah, he, he is a he is wise. He's a very wise, hilarious man, and and feels like it. He walks into a room, you're like. Ted's here. Ted's Ted's here. Everything's gonna be okay. And it's also great, like, because he could go on after the highest energy guy, and he just would slow into his thing, and then by the end of it, people are just on board. It's the simplest. Wherever I am right now, I just I did this show, and he makes somebody, people dream his dream. I, somebody came to a show recently. They said, "Oh, I saw you at this other show, and it was a show I hated." Rob O'Reilly has a show mm-hmm. at uh, Bar Lubitsch. Yeah, it was on Friday, and Rob asked me to do it. And I said, yeah, of course, and uh, went, and Kumail and Rory Scovel were on. Mm-hmm. Kumail Nanjani and Rory Scovel. I think I was in town that day. You were at the show. You were on that show. I, I showed up at the end, so okay. I didn't see everything. I was filled with such dread and self-hatred that night. That's crazy. And it has to do with the fact that I did not want to go after Kumail and Rory. Right? That's, that's, and, I, and it's all me. It's all in my own brain. Is that I didn't with like the Ted Alexander is like wherever I am is exactly where I am. I was like, no, the audience is going to be in a place where I can't match it, and I can't. That's all I was thinking of, and that I was getting in my head about it and feeling worse and worse and not wanting to go on stage. And I, I kissed my, I gave myself the kiss of death. 
right? So basically, I, I don't know. It was a miscommunication with what the lineup was going to be, and I thought I was before Rory and Kumail, mm-hmm. but it ended up going Rory, Kumail, then me, and I did not want to because Rory is Rory, and he did what he does, and there is that sense of irreverence and theatricality and, and playing with the audience and creating that tension. And then Kumail being an incredible uh, crowd worker followed through with that energy and and made jokes and riffed on how the expectation that now had been set up, ah, you know, for what he was supposed to do. And he still managed to of course. address it, yeah. be funny and then get back to his material. And then I was like, well, I can't do that. He already did that. And that's that. I mean, if I were you, that is what I would have said at the beginning of your set. But then I, I would have felt like, well, now I'm making it too self-conscious. Maybe. So this is what I did instead, mm-hmm. Mike. Tell me. I go on stage. The first thing I did was this. <sighs> <laughs> and then did my act. <laughs> it was such low energy and low commitment. And I just didn't want to be there in a lot of different ways. And... That that was the set, and I got off and just fucking hated myself. I really was upset, and, and then I, I couldn't talk to Rory and Kumail about it, and Emily Gordon was there, of course. I couldn't talk to them about it because they had just had great sets, and they're just looking at me being like, oh, me, uh. So I just fucking <laughs> left. You, you showed up, and you were like, hey, and I was like, I can't be here. <laughs> that's, that's all I did. I just went home and was, like, upset. And so I feel like the the learning thing from that is, number here's the thing like uh, to generalize about being nervous about a thing, like, negatively anticipating something. Like, nerves and anxiety can help, like, to a certain degree. Like, if you're not nervous at all, you might not have the energy uh, that you would need if you're like, oh, I got to I gotta be something. I got to do something, you know, like for, for a test or a TV appearance or anything. Like, but if you're too nervous, that's the worst. Like, too nervous will ruin you because you'll you'll be off your game. You won't be in the moment. Right. You won't, you know, be doing what you have to do. Uh, so the same way, like, and it, but even then, it's possible not everything's in your control. Like, who you go after, like, I always think, you know, the audience, an audience at a good show will enjoy good comedians, regardless of what order they come in. That's not to say, like, if you went before them, maybe you, you wouldn't have been as self-conscious. Maybe you would have had the set of the night. Then they did their thing. It's possible that what you're, th- what you're talking about, what you were worrying about, was coming from a real place. A well, bit. there's also the part of me that, that I did think that. I was like, what if I went first and then they followed me? I had a brilliant set. They didn't do so well. They would still be okay. That's all I was thinking. Is like they would still not be upset about not doing well because they would have felt like, well, I still was me, and I don't know what me is. Also, I'm gonna go home <laughs> and have some cookies. And also, they wouldn't if you went first and did amazingly. They could still do amazingly after you. Yeah, you could have done amazingly and I think they after would've. them. Uh, I could have, but I didn't give myself permission to. Right, and that's the thing is you need to give yourself permission to because what you did is like needless worrying because at your best, like you're great, you're amazing, and you need to like have all the op- opportunity to be that way, which involves not worrying, even if the worry is justified. My you best. Need- yeah. <laughs> Losers always whining about their best. <laughs> Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. <laughs> That's the worst Sean Connery ever, as you were saying, Mike. But yeah, you uh, like you would have had a better opportunity of. I'm, I don't remember your set because I might not have been there. No, before. you weren't there. Yeah. 
You had but, a, you were at a different oh, show. Oh yeah, you told me that you were sad about it. I told probably told you it was probably better than you thought, which I still think is true. Uh, because also you could, I mean, you could talk to somebody at that show who's like, "Oh my God, Rory, Kumail, Baron, I love them all. They all were great." Like because your bad is seeming seems to be farther from your great than somebody else who watches you thinks. Like somebody. <laughs> Yeah, and you mean in my own head, right? The like, gap that I have put between those two things. Yeah, the worst your the the worst performance of yours in your own mind is much closer to the best performance of yours, according to many other people who are not you. Mm, we got to do shrooms together. Yeah, I've never done it. Nice. Yeah. I believe I could do it around you and trust. Let's do it next time I'm in town. Next time. All right. Bye, Mike. Bye, Baron. Well, not bye. Like, I mean, we're going to be here after I hit stop. By audience. By audience, if that's your real name. (laughs) And that was Mike. I love that that's all I can think of to say. And that was the thing you just heard that you already knew. I'm repeating the thing that you already knew. Ah, oh, crap. Anyway, today, for some reason, I woke up to shite loads of new followers on SoundCloud. I have no idea why that happened, but if you are one of those new listeners, thank you very much for listening and following me on SoundCloud. Um, and also, go on iTunes and leave a review if you can, etc., etc., etc. I don't know what the SoundCloud thing is about. Maybe it has to do with All Things Comedy. That's right, the All Things Comedy Network. Go to allthingscomedy.com. And check out the other great podcasts there, including the Tom Rhodes Radio Hour. That's not what it's called. I don't know what the hell it's called. But it's with Tom Rhodes. He's a fantastic comedian. Bone Zone, a new one. Uh, And uh, The Dork Forest, which we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. um, And other podcasts. There's plenty of podcasts, and they're great. They're, They're fantastic. I've listened to pretty much all of them, and I am a genuine fan of three of them. (laughs) <laughs> I won't tell you which ones. That's a that's a that's a vampire that just gave up on being evil. I don't want to do this laugh. Um, what else? Next week will be the last podcast of the year with Guy Branham. It's an expansive uh, conversation that I recorded a while ago that I've been saving up. Um, coming up, Kyle Kinane, uh Chris Fairbanks, uh, Ali Wong. If I can get her to re- to let me release the conversation we had, which she does not want the world to hear, or a uh, specific two people she doesn't want to hear, I'm going to talk her into it because it was a damn good conversation. I'm um, going to have Hassan Minaj back, Dax Jordan's going to come back, Benari Polden, all, all, all my regs, all my regs, and some new people coming in as well. Um, so, anyway, deep shit. Bye. <laughs> I'm not a one. 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 I'